This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Love Letters Live with Janet Galen. And Janet, you have a great guest on today. Don't I ever, yes. Thank you. Well, I would like to introduce my guest, Mark Anthony. And, you know, I think most of you know his name, and you might know a lot more than I do about him so far. And I'm just going to start right in, Mr. Anthony. You know, I've, I've known your name for years, and it's kind of a background sound and hope and all kinds of things, interest. And recently, well, you know, I work with people writing love letters. And when I first started, this is kind of an under theme, people frequently write letters to parents and grandparents who are gone from this earth. Yes. And the question, my friend Myrna was the first one to ask this actually. She wrote a letter to her mother. She loved so much. Her mother died too young. And she wrote this wonderful letter to her mother many years ago, and then said something like, I know my mother can hear me. And that's kind of an ongoing theme. So my other underlying ongoing theme is a, a, a vague familiarity with you and what you do. And then I read that you have a new book out called Evidence right? Evidence of eternity. That's right. I wanted you to say it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought, okay, I really need to talk to this man. And so does everybody I know need to hear what you have to say. So I understand that you, you define yourself somehow both in terms of psychic abilities and as a lawyer. Could you just talk about that for a minute? Well, I was born into a family where people who perceive spirits is not an uncommon thing. And from what we can tell uh, people who study mediums and spirit communication, this appears to be a genetic proclivity. And so what's fascinating is both my parents had this. My dad was a US Navy SEAL and a NASA engineer. My mother was a commercial illustrator and she was a leg model because she had Betty Grable legs. And so she used to, to model stockings for a department store in, uh, <laughs> in uh, New York City. And so, so, you know, when people think of psychics and, and, you know, families, they think of like gypsy fortune tellers. And that certainly is, is not my family. I've tracked this back to the 1890s, actually on both sides of the family. I was going to ask if it went farther back than that, yes. <clears throat> Yeah, it did. My dad's family, they were very waspy um, Baptists from Pennsylvania. In fact, my great-great-grandfather on his, um, on his um, um, maternal side was actually a Baptist minister. But his grandmother, um, Grace, his mother, Isabel, his sister, Marjorie, and my dad could all see spirits. And wow. My, yeah. Well, but so, so where did the lawyer come in? Well, um, uh, um, my, I decided to, to go to law school and originally. With uh, an eye towards practicing law? Well, yeah, of course. And I, and I have practiced law for, I've tried over 300 jury trials. I've probably represented 10,000 people uh, throughout my career. I've been a prosecutor, criminal defense lawyer, complex civil litigation. I'm a member of the United States Supreme Court Bar, the Washington, D.C. Bar, and the Florida Bar. And I originally, I was going to go into, into the clergy because it's not unusual for, for mediums to be drawn to the clergy. 
and but I decided that, that that really wasn't for me because I felt it was too constricting and too limiting. And so, because a lot of people think that you know, if you're a lawyer, you're this you know sociopathic vampire that uh, you know just you know. I mean, it, it's and it's funny because everything that I do evokes an immediate reaction from people when I say you know you're a lawyer. People are like, and they say you're a medium. They're like, Shh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it really is a um, a misnomer because the vast majority of attorneys are here to help people. Oh, of course. You know, and do. And, and and do because, you know, when do you call a lawyer? Not usually not when life is perfect. It's because something terrible right. has happened to you. Right. And um and certainly I know that from representing people been arrested and in terrible injuries. But that's when they that's why they call you as a medium also when something jarring has happened. Well absolutely. And uh, oh, so I, wait, I mean I just start with something so sure. I, I was just curious. Um you know, I don't ever consider what I do an interview, and your office was kind enough to send a list of interview questions, and I thought, that's never part of what I decided to take a look at them the other day, and every single one of them is exactly <laughs> what I want to know. But I also want to go farther back. Was it hard for you as a child to be a child of people who were seers, you know, who were able to communicate with spirits? Well, it was hard to get away with anything. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, parents parents have a sixth sense anyway. You know, they're they're connected to their children, but you know, magnify that by about four thousand times with my parents. But um, actually, it was very good because when I started seeing spirits around age three and a half. Oh, tell me. Okay, stop. Yeah. Oh, tell me about the first time you did. Well, I started talking to my invisible friends, and I remember mom and dad were looking at me, and I remember mom saying, oh, he's got it, and my dad was like, oh, he's got it, and, and earlier when I was explaining about my family, my mom's family came over from Italy, and in fact, my maternal great-grandmother was featured in the PBS special, The Italian Americans, as the woman who knew things in the Italian community of New York and New Jersey because of her psychic ability. So that, it, so that was seen as a positive, as a power. Not right. My mom's family yeah. seems a positive. My dad's, and um, you know, people want to find out more about this. Certainly read my books, Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity, because I discuss a lot of the family members who had these abilities. And I remember my dad was very abrupt with me. He said, Mark, don't talk about this. And I got really scared, oh, you know, yeah. and then he, then he sat down and he said, Mark, and he could see I was, I was shaking, you know, cause daddy, you know, daddy never treated me like that. He said, Mark, people who see things that other people don't get taken away. Oh, oh. And he said, you can talk about this to your mother and I, you can tell us anything but don't tell people outside of the family. And long story short, Janet, the reason he told me this is that his sister Marjorie, um, she, her, she was married to a religious fundamentalist and he was going to work one day and she begged him not to go. She threw a fit because she knew something terrible was gonna happen. Yeah. And that day he used to work in a machine shop at a, hair, um, a steel plant in Pennsylvania. I think it was in Harris, Harrison, Pennsylvania. And a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and the cable snapped and it crushed the, uh, the, the machine shop and killed everybody in it. So if he'd been there, you know, there's probably about 99% chance he would have been killed. So to repay her, he felt that she was doing something evil and satanic. 
he had her involuntarily committed to a mental institution and forcibly subjected to electroshock therapy over a period of six months. And my Aunt Marjorie, after that, they, they damaged her brain so much, she never was able to perceive spirits again. It, it is shocking that the medical people in charge would have gone along with that, because I must say, you know, you I've thought of this, and I'm sure half the people in the world have. You have to think about children who have imaginary friends. Right. And who are they talking to and what that means. And haven't we all talked to spirits at some point in our life? Well, we do every day. And for people who pray, you're doing it every day. Right. I mean, think about it. You know, I, I was raised in the Catholic faith and certainly God and then, you know, Jesus, um, Mother Mary, the, the saints and angels. And, and so there's all these supernatural entities. And for, you know, our colleagues and friends that are Protestant or Jewish and, you know, um, pray you know, solely to, to one God, uh, which is fine, absolutely fine, because, you know, uh, um, people are, are communicating with spirits on a daily basis. But we also, we also actively talk to people who are gone. We talk to our parents and our grandparents. I'm looking up because even that's... Well, of course, because they're on a higher frequency, a higher vibration. And we do, yeah. Jenna, and that's an excellent point. I love what you said before about how so many people write love letters to people they know and, and who, who they miss. And you know what? The spirits are aware of that. Okay, so I want to talk to you about yeah. that. Yeah, that, I, I, I figured you might. <laughs> that, that isn't, well, a couple of questions. I read that you, because of your legal background and your psychic background, step in where the two conflict, where there's an issue. How do they conflict? What happens where you have a spirit um, influence and a legal influence and they collide? What would that, I couldn't even imagine what that could be. Well, uh, one of my, my favorite uh, um, stories about that, illustrations. I was trying a jury trial and it was before, before evidence was being taken. This is the part of the trial called jury selection. Yeah. And uh, the, the technical term is voir dire. Although I was practicing in Florida, so it's bore dire. <laughs> but uh, it's a French word meaning to speak the truth. And the point is that first the prosecution gets to ask the prospective jurors questions, sure. and then the defense does. And the point is to get the most fair and impartial jury as possible. Right. And so during this jury selection, it was in a case, it was a mutual combat. I was representing this big bruiser, got in a fight with another big bruiser. And so the loser filed charges. So, but it was a crime of violence. And I kept getting drawn to this one woman on the perspective, uh, the jury panel. And I kept feeling a female spirit around her. And I'm like, okay, I'm in court. You know, this is not when this should be happening. I'm feeling it tightening around my throat. And so when it was my time to ask questions, I, I, I said to the panel, is anyone here been the victim of a violent crime or maybe a family member? Oh my gosh she started trembling and shaking oh. and the tears and she had, I mean, she was such a sweet looking person. And, and I could feel the, the spirit coming in behind her even stronger. And oh. she started trembling and she said, a year ago, my sister was in a foreign country when an escaped mental patient strangled her, dismembered her body and threw her in the trash like she was garbage. And I'm standing there like, you know, and you, I mean, no, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the courtroom and my client's like, dude, what are you doing? And even the, the normally loudmouth prosecutor didn't have anything to say. And I'm thinking, you know, they didn't tell me in law school how to deal with this one. 
And, and then I'm getting a visual on her sister behind her. So literally, Janet, I had a foot in our world and a foot in the other side. What and did you if, do with that? Well, and if people want to find out what happens, they're going to have to get my book, Never Letting Go. Okay. <laughs> so. that's, that's good to know. I'm going to get a copy of that. <laughs> I, I want to know, when you, how do you distinguish when you communicate with the spirits, I don't even know how to phrase this because it's basic and I'm so ignorant. Do you, is it something you see? Do you, can you see a person that's represented by the spirit? Do you hear it or do you feel it? And then you go from there. What well, is the sense you get? It, uh, different mediums perceive things differently, but I see them, hear them, feel them. I smell things, taste and things, I know things. I get, I get everything. But um, as yeah. they were when they were living? Well, what normally happens is when spirits will come in, they yeah. will appear the way they did prior to passing. Right prior. Right prior to passing. And the reason for that is that's an identifying characteristic. So uh -huh. if your 95-year-old grandmother comes through looking 22 years old, and I'm describing this 22-year-old with great legs and high cheekbones yeah. and all this, you know, you're thinking, you know, that. your grandmother is an old lady used to knit and bake cookies. Right. Um, however, many times, and, and this has happened to me thousands of times, is so I'll be communicating with people who are elderly or very, very diseased and sick when they die. And so they give me the identifiers and then they morph into these young, beautiful versions of themselves. Oh, so you're not stuck with as bad as you might have looked if you were sick. You're not, not stuck with that version for... Oh, not at all. In fact, um, we, we hear about this because um, in near-death experience, because I speak a lot at the International Association of Near-Death Studies, also had an ND uh, when I actually when I was four, but um, people talk about they go into the light, you know, they, they die, they go through the tunnel, they go into the light, and they encounter the spirits of people they know who died, and everybody looks like they're in their 20s or early 30s, and they look beautiful. And the reason for that is because we are actually pure energy. And so our body is just, our brain is just the host for the soul, for the spirit. It doesn't create it. And so the spirit comes into the body and when the body dies, the soul goes on. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. That's the first law of thermodynamics and physics. That isn't wishful thinking, that's a law of physics. Energy doesn't get old, it doesn't get sick, it doesn't get tired, it doesn't die. And you know, so I'm, I'm, that's I'm, why, yeah, and, and, and one time, like one of the times I saw my mother, I mean, my mother was in her late 70s when she died, and all of a sudden there she was, and she looked young and beautiful. And I said, you know, and, and like, I never saw her that young. Right. And I said, Mom, you look so beautiful. I go, why do you do that? She said, because I can't. <laughs> and okay. I, <laughs> something about that i have often i know this isn't about me but many maybe other people have felt this and you can answer it i have often for from the time i was very young kind of looked not looked forward to my death because i'm having a wonderful time in my life sure. but to being pure energy yes there's always been something so appealing about that that's very interesting janet because you you get it you're understanding this on on a subconscious level, because that is what we are. Um, my hero, Albert Einstein, one of my heroes, but he's definitely up there. Albert Einstein said that when it comes to matter, we've got it all wrong. There's no matter. 
there's just energy which vibrates at different frequencies so as to be perceptible to the senses. And so you understand that. And why? Because that is the truth. I've always kind of felt that, but I have another question. How do you distinguish? I mean, I don't know how many people confess to this, but maybe a lot. You can tell the difference when it's happening to you. You can tell the difference between a dream and what I'm going to call a hallucination for lack of a better word. That is to say, somebody who's gone appearing right there next to you, not a dream. Right. And one of my, one of my closest friends died when we were 29. It was horrible. It was just horrible. She'd been sick for a while and horrible. And after about six months, this was a dream. I don't know what you make of it. Um, and there we were talking to each other. And after a couple of minutes, I said, Carol, what are you doing here? And she said, I said, well, I don't understand. I mean, what are you doing here? And she said, well, I'm not allowed to tell you. And I said, we've never had a moment in our life together that you haven't told me something. Nor I, I want to know what you're doing here. She said, I will tell you, but you have to promise not to say anything. And I didn't for the next 40 years, by the way. And then I felt not obligated to keep that. And <laughs> she said, this is how we get to come visit you once we're gone. Oh, sure. And so it made that, sense. And it felt real because it was real. And it was a, it was a conversation. Right, because, how, how in-depth do you want me to get on this explanation? Well, just start. I mean, we're limited by time. I wish you could be here for a week. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, this is an alignment of frequency with the other side. Let me explain. Spirit communication is not hocus-pocus or magic. It's based on sound scientific principles. And we now know that our brain has different frequencies. There's different brain waves. Right now we're in the beta state. That's the awake, rational, you know, get up, tie your shoes, drive your car to work state. But then as we go to sleep, we slip into alpha. That's when you meditate and you get that, I call it the groovy baby feeling. And then you go from alpha to theta, which is deep sleep. And then there's delta, which is like no very little brainwave activity. But scientists who've been studying psychic activity find that on the alpha-theta border between that euphoric state and sleep, brain waves increase. Spirits see that, they bring their frequency down, you get a frequency match. And that's why they tend to visit us in our dreams because it's happening naturally. Also, we're more accepting of dreams. I mean, even look in the Bible, all the accounts of, you know, angels, spiritual entities coming to the three wise men to warn them about Herod. And then uh, Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, spirits coming to him twice. The Old Testament's loaded with prophetic dreams and, and spirit contact. I know when people use the Bible to, to crucify me, it's like, really? You really need to read it because it's loaded with this activity. And the thing is that... And this is what we're not sure of, or how this happens. People like me can voluntarily do this in the beta state. So I can go from beta to alpha theta like that. Whereas normally, it takes several hours for people in a deep sleep state to get to the point where their brainwave frequency is receptive to the frequency match of a higher vibration. Then I have two questions. Okay. I know this 
I'm sure this goes on with you forever, but two things. First of all, it makes sense that that happens at night when you're sleeping because Lord knows your days are busy enough. And this way you have some time that's un, un, um, unassigned nighttime when you're sleeping, more or less, to, to receive these. But also, you know, we hear all the time that science understands only a certain percentage of what the brain is for. Certainly. And the rest of it is, you know, a total mystery and we don't know anything. And it's always occurred to me that part of that may be an area that is more well-developed or more sensitive or sophisticated and can receive signals that many people cannot. I, I do believe there's a, a difference in levels of sophistication among people. And the, I, yeah, I, I, there is, and, and that's a very good point. There's also scientific uh, basis to back that up. Um, the wiring of our brain are, is referred to as axons. Um, and scientists have found that people that are more intelligent seem to have more, not seem, they have more axons. Basically, they have more going on, more electrical uh, connections uh, within the brain. And they can brain map and, and see where electrical flow is. And if, if people have an abnormally high level of electrical activity in the brain, when it comes to spirit communication, it's believed that the pineal gland, now for people who do yoga, the third eye chakra, we've all heard of that, people talk about the third eye. Well, actually about four inches behind the center of our forehead, inside of our brain is a small gland about the size of a lima bean known as the pineal gland. And the pineal gland regulates our circadian rhythms. When we uh, wake up, go to sleep, it, it secretes melatonin, the hormone which helps us sleep, but it also regulates how we perceive light and it controls our brainwave frequencies. And, and the British, uh, who've been very advanced in psychic research uh, for like, at least since the 1930s, wow. have found that there are traces of magnetite and calcite crystals inside of the pineal gland. What was the first... More or less developed between people who can see and who can't? Well, the first radio was a piece of quartz crystal with copper wire running low levels of electricity into it. If we have calcite and magnetite crystals, which are in our brain and magnetite has an electromagnetic field, and we know the brain has an electrical field, we have a radio station in our head. And so there's the apparatus. So some um, people have been studying this uh, for a very, very long time. Um, and, you know, the, the quote unquote, the jury's still out only because uh, we haven't, maybe we don't have the technology yet to conclusively prove this. But what we do know when studying the unknown is that the absence of evidence doesn't mean, or the lack of evidence doesn't mean the absence of evidence. It right. just simply takes time. Well, it would, so you talk about, I had no idea that the British were doing studies on this since the 30s. I don't know anything about studies being done. And well, they had a psychic warfare division in the 1930s. Wow. Um, which is, it's one of the lectures I give. And certainly other people at the time, um, um, Adolf Hitler had an entire division of witches under the uh, command of Heinrich Himmler. They actually had a black magic division in, in the German high command. And, and this is one of the lectures that well, I give. What was their goal? What did they get from that? To win the war by any means how? possible. Well, because- oh, Summoning spirits to help them? 
spirits to give them advice. And Hitler used to drive his generals crazy because he used to be consulted by astrologers and he wouldn't make a particular move unless the, um, the stars were in alignment. And um, also they would um, put hexes and curses on, on people. And also that um, it was all tied into the Nazi occult. The, the Nazi beliefs were, were quite complex and uh, God, we could do an entire show on that. But what's really, well. what's really cool about this, Janet, is that um, after France was, was the French army folded and, and the Germans annihilated it, and then they began the Battle of Britain where uh, every day for four months they were bombing Britain mercilessly, and uh, the U.S. was bogged down in the Neutrality Act. Well, Gerald Gardner, who was the father of the modern Wiccan movement, summoned all the witches of Great Britain to New Forest in southern England. So hundreds of witches are coming. It's supposed to be secret. Okay, but, you know, when you get hundreds of witches from England, Scotland, and Wales all going to this forest, and they were going towards uh, the last crescent moon there during the summer, and they called it Operation Cone of Power, where they started... They, they um, focused all their energy and power and directed it to Hitler's brain and said, you will not cross the ocean. You will not come. You will not cross the ocean. You cannot come. Well, this gets out, and the BBC picked it up and, and ran a story that even the witches of Great Britain are fighting Adolf Hitler. Well, you can say that this is all fanciful um, myth, you know, uh, nonsense, except within 30 days of that, the RAF started winning the war and they started shooting more German planes out of the sky. And yes, it could be due to a lot of factors like the British developing radar and the Spitfires were pretty darn good, except according to legend, the, the cone of power had been used by British witches on two other occasions. Once in 1588, to destroy the Spanish Armada, which was going to invade England. And once again in 1805, just before Lord Nelson destroyed Napoleon's fleet off of Trafalgar. Well, let the, me ask you something about the research though, because it's just stuck in, are, do you work with scientists who study, you know, actual physical neurology? Oh yeah, I've been hooked up to I mean, machines and studied in laboratories, yeah. No, but I mean, they take you seriously. Absolutely they do. Uh, they did in England, they did in, uh, in, in Los Angeles, and at the University of Arizona. Well, can I, can I get to, I mean, the real question that got me here. So, Evidence of Eternity. And I, I am going to get the book. But can you just give us a couple of examples of what evidence there is? I mean, if you're open enough, I suppose it's all over the place, the evidence there is. But well, what it's one of the things that I was just describing earlier about brainwave frequency and alignment. The laws of physics support this. As Nikola Tesla said, uh, what one man calls God, another calls the laws of physics. And what I was talking about with Albert Einstein, about there's no um, matter, there's only energy that vibrates a different frequency. That energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. Well, and you're talking about actual physical molecular evidence. Well, yes, and, and, but, uh, but this also involves energy, and that's what spirits are, is energy. And so when spirits communicate with me, I just don't tell people, oh, your grandmother's here and she loves you. I give them actual facts, verifiable things that I couldn't possibly, um, couldn't possibly know. And that's the point of evidential mediumship. 
And uh, that's a number of the illustrations in the book are to, to explain those things and then show how, how they were verified. Um, I mean, spirits give me a tremendous amount of medical information about the people that I'm doing readings for. I was um, at a public event, um, I won't say where, but there's a couple hundred people there. And this young couple there in their early 20s stood up and the spirits came in, it was for the wife, but then they targeted her husband and I said, there's something very serious going on in your lower abdominal region and you got to get this checked right away. And they're like, eh, and they're rolling their eyes. They're being very disrespectful and downright rude. And I said, you need a, a, um, a blood test or something about your wife. Oh, I'm fine. I get an email from them a month later and the wife said, we really wish we would have listened to you because a week after you did that reading, my husband's appendix burst. And it was oh. so serious, they had to remove his colon. And the surgeon said that if only we'd had a blood test, a simple uh, blood test would have shown an elevated white blood cell count, and it would have tipped us off to what to look for. And the thing is, Janet, I've got hundreds of examples along those lines. Usually, I would believe, I would believe that because I, I would believe that there are obviously, like you would say, changes in energy when your body is doing something dangerous. And absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, there's funny things that happen too. I mean, spirits can be hysterically funny. Um, they, they can bring up, well, I was, <laughs> okay, talk about evidence. So I'm doing a reading for this, this woman and her husband comes through and I get octopus. I go octopus. And she, I go, boy, I, I keep seeing an octopus. And she goes, oh, my God. I go, what? She said, well, you know, she goes, we used to live in Belize, and we lived on a canal, and we'd catch lobsters and put them in this tank overlooking the water. One morning, my husband and I came out with our coffee, and there's an octopus climbing up out of the canal and grabbing our lobsters. Do you think that's what he's talking about? I go, well, unless you have another octopus story, I'm kind of thinking, yeah. And, and we were laughing about that. I mean, how many people have an octopus story. You know, if I said puppy, I mean, everyone's got a puppy story, but you know, and these are the type of things that spirits will transmit to verify it's them. Well, you know, there's an, art, an artist who lives not so far from me in San Francisco Bay Area named Jill Culver. And she was a corporate person all her life. And she quit one day to become an artist. Didn't even know she could draw at some point. I mean, it's not like she grew up. And she started to do <coughs> what she calls soul portraits. Yes. And you, I don't know if you know about her, but you send her a picture of yourself. She does portraits from photographs so she can do them from all over the world. And she sends you back a soul portrait of the spirit of you. For example, one, one woman, she drew this woman wearing this beautiful white lace mantilla and some other, and Karen didn't know anything, Jill didn't know anything about the person, but her grandmother was Spanish and did have that exact mantilla, which this woman had in her closet. Oh, cool. Yeah. On and on and on. And it is so bizarre. And you can't not, you can't not believe in it because there it is right in front of you with Jill Culver. Exactly. So. And, and that's, you know, that's a, another form of, of what I do is bringing forth uh, evidence that people couldn't, couldn't possibly you know, I, I can't make this stuff up. How, how do you relate? Do you have anything to do with past lives, people in their own past lives? Or is that a separate 
thing altogether. Yeah, that's a separate thing, but see, that's also not evidential. Um, I have seen, now, the problem with mediumship is it's fraught with charlatans. Yes. Like, I've seen these ridiculous physical mediums that make people sit in the dark, or these so-called channelers that sit there and talk in these, these goofy voices, usually with an English accent. Apparently, people with Russian accents never communicate. Um, only, oh, yes, the, 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 you know, and, and they spout fortune cookie philosophy and all of this uh, unsubstantiated rubbish, garbage um, to me, that uh, that's just pathetic, and and I really wish people that did that w would just stop. Or the ones that make you sit in the dark while supposedly ectoplasms coming forward. And I've I've witnessed a few of those um, um, frauds. That, that, that's that's the nicest word I can use. Um, and and that's that's the downside of mediumship is that the history of it is fraught with fraud. And that's why I, I turn to evidential mediumship because the objective of evidential mediumship is not only to, is to communicate with the spirit, but in that communication, bring forth verifiable facts and evidence that I have no basis to know, no foreknowledge of knowing that can be verified. And a lot of the times, Janet, the things that are transmitted to me, I don't know what they mean. And they, they, well, that would make sense. well, I was doing a session for these, these two women and their mother's spirit came through and began to talk about their sister who's alive and well, she just wasn't in the reading. And she kept, the mother's spirit kept giving me Michael, Michael, October 11, 10, 11. And the sister said, well, you know, Mark, of course, we all know somebody named Michael. I mean, who doesn't, right? And they said, but we can't think of anyone significant. And nothing in our family has happened in October. So we don't know what October 11th, 10, 11 is about. So I said, don't worry about it. Let's just move on to the next piece of information. Six weeks later, they contacted me. They said, well, we figured it out. On October 11th, Hurricane Michael hit our sister's hometown, and she had her baby three weeks early on October 11th. And, and we were laughing about that. Then I think, God, your poor sister. I mean, childbirth is, is challenging enough, but during a Category 5 hurricane, that has got to be a really tough day for that woman. And so their mother's spirit was letting us know this. But the thing is, it was a future event. And why would they have thought about October 11th? Because the baby, you know, wasn't born until two weeks after the reading, which was on October 11th. And we were thinking Michael was a person not a hurricane, you know, so, so there's a period of, of reflection and afterthought. Also, it takes time. Each piece of evidence that comes through Janet, it's like the piece of a puzzle and you have to get all the pieces and then they start coming together and there you'll have the understanding. Well, I want to thank you for doing this with me. You know, my, it's always been an eight lane highway inside here and you've just added another two lanes and an <laughs> on-ramp. So I want to thank you for that. It's all of this is so compelling, so compelling. And it's, it's, I think for most people, it's hard not to believe that there is some communication or some connection at least between the present and the later. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you. And Janet, uh, um, as a, a gift to the listeners of Love Letters, if they would like to book a reading with me through my website, evidenceofeternity.com, if they mention your name, 
or the name of the show, Love Letters, they'll qualify for a reduced fee session with me. Okay. And you can find out about that through my website, evidenceofeternity.com. Go to the book of phone reading section. And also, um, I'd like to invite people to sign up for my newsletter and follow me on social media. And that's just like my book, evidenceofeternity.com. Well, you know, when, I, when, I, when I post this on my Love Letters Live website for the talk show, that um, I will, I'll put in links to all of this. Super. Yeah, so because if... Well, you know, and it, you've been kind enough to have me on your show, and so I want to do something for your listeners. That's very sweet of you. I mean, I didn't really do it out of kindness at all. I was so curious and so eager to meet you. <laughs> thank well, you. For thank you. It's, yeah. it's an honor. Uh, thank you. The honor is mine. God Here. bless you. Okay. That's so nice. And to all our listeners, um, I'm just going to say goodbye for now, and thanks to Mark Anthony, and we'll talk later. And by the way, Mr. Anthony, if there's anything else you'd ever like to focus on and talk about and do this, let me know. My invitation oh. will stand permanently. Well, I've got a lot of uh, topics to discuss and uh, with the holidays coming up, um, that's very difficult for a lot of people. So maybe we can talk about coping with the loss of a loved one at the holidays. And I've got a number of stories that are, that are essentially love letters from heaven. Okay. Oh, well, okay. That's my, you're mine. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll tell you goodbye for now.